0: what's up man what's going on i'm in minnesota yeah i can i can feel the cold (laughs) can you i don't know if you can feel anything at negative three degrees (laughs) with a low of minus 10 dude there's a blizzard coming in today it's supposed to be pretty bad into into where you are yeah and then it's going to like michigan and stuff i don't even know if my brother and and folks are going to even make it to christmas because it's like it's starting to snow right now but i think it's gonna be like a big one (laughs)
1: Whoa. What yeah. is your brother doing? Is he like cancelled or is he just hanging out at the airport or
0: he's him and my parents are supposed to come in on Friday. It's now oh, okay. Wednesday. So we'll just have to see how it goes. But Oh man. Yeah, here for Christmas, man. Uh, hang out with my sister and nieces' and nephews. So um figure we would just uh, record a quick podcast now and get the last one in maybe maybe not the last one, but one here before Christmas towards the end of the year. Dude, it's, and, um,
1: it's December twenty
0: first. We've done like four of these this year. There's no way we're doing <laughs> we, more. This is the last we, one. <laughs> yeah, this is probably the last one. We've done more than four, but um, yeah. So what we had some things we wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. We had a couple of things. What what was the one that we thought was going to be a good one for this episode?
1: Dude, it was a, It's a SSR initial render, second render.
0: All right. So we we do have a, a few things to talk about. We we wanted to bring up some tweets. Just to kind of, uh, you know, shoot the breeze a bit about what's going on on Twitter. And then um, we were going to talk about uh, a question that came up actually in Build UI's Discord. That's what it was. So, uh, cool. Let's talk about... There were some tweets going back and forth with um, Ryan Florence, Michael Jackson, and Dan Abramov that I thought were uh, kind of interesting. And... um, both Michael and Ryan, authors of Remix, you know, we're talking about kind of the early days of React and lamenting hooks and kind of pining for the days where, um, you know, we just had uh, class components. So let's actually read these threads because I think you haven't quite read them yet. Mm-hmm. So Ryan says. React eighteen calling use effect use memo twice on mount and dev to make components concurrent mode safe is ironically making people do exactly what they don't want people to do. Assign stuff to ref during render. Hey, it's me. I'm in this tweet. <laughs> I was gonna say, do you agree with that, first of all? Um
1: Yeah, well, so yes, you do see like you do see people say, Oh, you only want this thing to run once, it's running twice in strict mm-hmm. mode, just uh, use a ref to mark if you've run it before. And yeah, so now, now you're using like instant state to track it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say when I hit this, every time I hit this sort of thing, I realize like, oh, I wasn't really thinking about my cleanup function correctly and, mm-hmm. and strictly, I think we've talked about this before, but strict mode mm-hmm. ends up making my code better. But dude, dude, absolutely. Like I'm in a big code base and mm-hmm. I have a million tasks to do and I'm just trying to get things done. And oftentimes I'm thinking in terms of life cycle uh, and I just want to mark like, yeah, I did the work, throw it in a ref and just track it there. So, um,
0: yeah, I don't Right, If refs are generally thought of as like almost like an escape hatch, like they should be your tool of last resort. And if the twice on Mount thing is happening and people are starting to reach for them on a regular basis, it feels like maybe an issue. I I think in
1: like, uh, I kind of like land on both sides of this. So, in the simple case, when I'm trying to learn and I'm trying to understand stuff, like, yeah, strict mode firing things twice definitely pushes my code to a better spot. And I, I like that. Like, I feel like I walk away learning something. Uh, there's other times when I'm in like a really, really complicated component that tons of people have worked on, lots of effects, lots of stuff that I just can't keep track of in my head. And during those times, I think the like safest thing for me to do is reach for a ref because, Mm-hmm. I don't have the, you know, two or three days it would take to unwind that component. Right. Also, too, it's like not really the task. It's like a bigger refactoring task. So sometimes the ref is the easiest tool to, to reach for there.
0: Right. No, I like that. Um, good answer. So he says it's making people assign stuff to rest during render. He says originally the concepts to use React were simpler. The hard one was this. Then Hooks traded this for object identity, item, pot- item potency, and lexical scope, but it was still generally forgiving. Strict mode is completely unforgiving. We traded forgiveness for concurrent rendering. Is concurrent rendering worth it? I love the idea of an input that filters a complex list and have the UI respond immediately always instead of the main thread being blocked. Sometimes the UI not immediately showing a character. I don't know if all this is worth it. Or a big calendar UI and you want to click next month button quickly and not have the thread blocked and see the active state of the button persist for 300 milliseconds after mouse up as the thread is blocked because you interrupted a render. Um... If I had any feedback for the React team, it would be to show the value here. Your people are struggling. Before we'd optimize a component here and there with memo and should component update. Now it's like we have to optimize our entire app so that a few cases are automatically optimized. I thought that was pretty, that was pretty interesting because that actually, that is the pessimistic take on kind of the, the approach that they decided. And like the, the optimistic or, or more like, um, cher- not charitable, but supportive, p- positive take is, we're helping you find bugs earlier, right? And whereas this take is kind of, it's the same thing. It's like you're forcing me to find bugs that are edge cases. And it's kind of like, you know, using like Elm or something. The first time you use, you know, move from JavaScript to TypeScript. It's like you had a bug in that function the whole time. And types are actually helping you find that earlier. But sometimes it feels... Like, it's not worth the trade-off or the cost is too much and you're nitpicking me too much and just let me write my buggy code because I'll get my, like, the main thing done faster.
1: Yeah, also, too, like,
0: these bugs are interesting because they're bugs, but
1: they might never happen in production. Just just based on how your users use your app and flow through your application, they might never happen. So I can see that being annoying that you're being told you have these, you know, whether it's TypeScript, you have these type errors or, yeah, or whether it's your effect double firing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's all.
0: So that that's kind of the other thing, though, is like, um, are these Ryan's angle was that it's about concurrence mode? And that's kind of like they're setting the stage for that. But like, we don't use concurrent mode. And if we don't, then this is not worth it. But then eventually, Dan gets in there and says, actually, these are bugs that could happen outside of concurrent mode. All of them are. Mm-hmm. And every time he's run into an issue, um, like in a, in pairing with someone at work, he has fixed a bug that would have happened outside of concurrent mode. I was a little confused by this because I thought when we started talking about this stuff, that, that it was about making a component safe for something like off screen, which is a, which is a concurrent potential concurrent feature. Yes, so but- are there is 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 there a is there an overlap or is it disjoint sets with issues that can happen in concurrent mode and issues that can happen outside of concurrent mode
1: uh they're is- they're both disjoint sets i think is 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 the one i'm okay not sure i'm fully okay. understanding you but yeah the double, theory. The, the double effect firing can happen in in two cases so let's talk about the non-concurrent mode one you Uh navigate to a screen, you quickly hit the back button, you quickly hit the forward button. Like in Uh that case, like the component is going to mount, unmount, mount, right? Uh Uh-huh. Because you go there, back, forward. So you have to think about, like you just have to think about that.
0: Um, So, what's an example? The double mount though, is it, so in that case, like is it that, because the double mount is saying I just created a new connection to my chat room and I did it twice. Well they no they do run unmount effects, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. D- no, some some so it really is just a page that you render and then render again sometime later. Right.
1: So that's this is like the non-concurrent mode version. Just just think of like go to a page, click back, right. go forward really quickly. And that right. does happen in real apps. Right. And if you don't if you don't have a cleanup function or right. you only think the person just starts on page a and they end up on page b and that's it then right. you you like you actually didn't think about that they can go a b a b uh, right and that introduces right. bugs like if you're logging to an analytics service or you're doing some sort of mutation that you only expect to happen once um, right there's bugs there the other right. side the the off-screen thing is how i always kind of interpreted why like the strict mode stuff exists. Like it's going to help us for this future off screen. So that is mm-hmm. you render a component and then that component goes off screen, but all of its state is saved. But mm-hmm. when it goes into like that off screen um, phase of its select like cycle, exactly, you clean up the right. effects. And then when it right. comes back on screen, all its state is still the same, but it remounts, it reruns the effects. So
0: Right, um, right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, I found some Dan getting in here and saying, um, "I need to know more about case." You mean things that break with double rendering would break if your parent component has an extra set state. Things that things that break with double effect would break if you navigate back and forth. So it all seems like real issues to me. Exactly what what you said there. So um, that's interesting. Um, anyways, I thought that was just like an interesting little conversation. You know that they were talking about. It it is a it is a it's a different approach. It is. It is like a typed language, and saying we want to upfront cost the um, the cost of avoiding these kinds of bugs creeping into our software, and we want to do it over the whole course of the development process instead of maybe moving faster upfront and then waiting for the issues to come up and then fixing those issues within single components. Now from the performance side, I do like the idea of like, should component update is just like, I'm dropping this D three chart in your app and I need it. It's not going to be a bread and butter react component that just re renders over and over again. You know, it's, it's, I'm going to make sure I use should component update or whatever. I never really wrote react when that was around and did that. Um, and I haven't worked on a project. I guess we have had some projects where we had to be mindful. There's been too many re-renders. You have to think about it a little bit harder. But um, for something about it for, for me from the performance perspective I like, but from the, the mental model and the effects. The performance perspective I like in general the approach of wait until it's a problem. Yes. But from bugs and effects and things like that, I actually like upfront. I, I I like the approach of, like, a typed language. You know what I'm saying? Interesting.
1: Interesting. So, yeah.
0: it is interesting. Because it's kind of like, when I think about performance, I'm like, Yagni. But when I think about bugs, I think I've come around to, like, more and more with with things like TypeScript. That the, the correctness of the program, if, if you can amortize that cost of being correct starting from the beginning, there, there's something nice about that, you know?
1: I think because it gets
0: hot, it's because the cost curve goes really high once you have a full app and then you start adding these things and you've introduced, you know, it's, it's the, um, the permutations, right? right. I
1: I think that is, as as long as a bug that you're telling people about, you can give them a clear path to fixing, it's fine. I think the confusion or the complaints are you're double firing my effect. It's super confusing and and I don't know how to fix it. And I think that's a problem. And and just like not even outside of like the double firing thing, just like the uh, React effect dependencies. Use effect takes dependencies. Linter gets mad at you when you don't pass them all in. I've seen apps where people want to ignore dependencies. Like they just want to say only when this one thing changes do I want this effect to fire. Even though the effect is going to close over all the other state. Right. And so they just only put that one thing in there get a linear error and just ignore it and it would be right they they don't have the um the mental model of how to like guard exactly how to guard against all the things changing that they're not interested in and you know what my answer is always well use a ref to track just kind of bring us back to the the beginning but um yeah oh, there are cases by the way setting
0: a, it's using a ref to track that kind of thing and effect is fine people get in trouble when they start reading it during render because they're setting things is that kind of like the path to a problem uh no it, these are
1: both both these things start off with using setting refs and effects to track if work has been done mm-hmm. that, that that was how this thread originally kicked off so mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, if you but have you a can't, you have you can't,
1: yeah. if you have a clear path to fixing the bug that strict mode is yeah. telling you about, then I think this stuff is yeah. great. It's when you right. don't have a clear path, and you see this in other stuff, like like my example with effect dependencies. If you only care about one dependency, even though I can point at your program, I can say, "Hey, you have a bug because like." you're closing over this variable. And when that variable changes, you're not rerunning the effect. effect, So it's getting that person might say like that literally can't create a bug in my system. That's like, that's the correct behavior. So I think there's like this balance of like, you have a correct, correct, uh, reactive react program on one side and the other side of like, no, that's like impossible state, impossible bug in my production app. And obviously you and I, you know, teachers and and having this podcast we're going to lean more towards the like you should write a correct react program you should write a correct typescript program um but yeah i can like empathize with the like
0: i don't can definitely care, empathize i just want to get yeah. it done especially if you're in like a certain situation we're, we're also pragmatic though when it comes to the work we do and how we teach people to do it so yeah it's 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 not a black and white thing it's a it's a spectrum for sure yep. but it is it's an interesting way to frame it um what i gonna say I think um, w- when you talk about the path to fixing it, Dan's been tweeting a lot about the docs, so I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to giving them a new read. The beta docs, we'll link to them because I think there's a lot of good information in there. But I also know they were talking about like the use event RFC, which I don't think hasn't gotten any movement. No, but that's a sort sorry, of thing it got, it got, it got axed. It got axed, yeah. yeah. But I think something like that, yes. I think there is, you know, use ref feels very low level in React even kind of like the main hooks, I guess use state is pretty easy, but use ref and use effect feel low level. My most success, I think people's most success is when libraries use those, those are building blocks. And so, um, you know, I think that's another way to think about all this stuff is like, I don't really think about that. If I'm using a nice hook from a library, if I'm installing react to use measure and I need to measure the width of an element, it's like, I don't think I could think of a better of a better API than React with hooks. With that, I mean it's fi- It's like it's just perfect for me and for what I need, and I don't think about it. So there's a lot of complexity hidden in the hooks there. With use effect, with you know maybe it uses layout effect, maybe use effect the double firing, the cleanup of the reset, whatever. But. Um, that's kind of when I see these threads, like I actually really like using hooks and I try, even though I've done a lot of library code and open source, we've done the low level stuff. And we love nerding out about it and finding out about it, pushing it. Um, I like to, my mental model, I like to keep myself as a mind of an app developer and be productive building applications, reusable UI components, things like that. And for me, it's like hooks is the best API for that stuff that I've seen. So I'm a huge fan and I know Ryan is, is a huge fan of a hooks as well. Um, but I also – I get what he's saying. He sees a lot of people struggle with it. Sometimes I think people are struggling with it because they're like going too low level maybe too mm-hmm. soon and they yeah. don't need to be. You know,
1: Totally. I I think you're like this. But anytime I write use effect, it's kind of like uh, alarm bells go off in my head. Yeah. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. okay. And I we tell to, that to people we yeah. pair with too. You I know? need to go find the NPM, the library that's trying to do what I'm trying to do. And if I'm trying to do too right. much, there's usually two ways I can – take two different hooks and like compose their values. But I, I, right. I will say just as like a counter to that, like if you're working on a react app, you're eventually going to have to write your own use effect.
0: Right. You can't, you can't escape it forever. So, right. Um, yeah. Right. Cool. Um, all right, let's move on here. I've got, um, we, we, we had a good question coming up in discord. Um, our build UI. So we've got, uh, um several dozen members in there now is pretty cool. People talking about the videos and talking about questions that work. Um we're also going to be making some new videos here real soon. I think this question is actually going to be uh, uh, become a video on build UI. And we also want to start a new series since we finished our Framer Motion series. There's eight videos up on Framer Motion, it's about 3 hours of content, cover a lot of my favorite the best I think the best APIs, a lot of the best APIs in Framer Motion. Build a lot of cool demos. So I'm going to be putting out a YouTube video kind of summarizing that. So that'll be fun. But if you're interested, definitely check out buildUI.com. But part of becoming a pro member and subscribing, you get to join the Discord. That's where uh, my buddy Brian was hanging out and asked this question. So let's talk about this question. So he is building uh, his app, uh, Campfire, I believe it's called. And um, it has like a dashboard homepage. And there's a sidebar. And uh, the sidebar can kind of come in and out like you would see in a lot of user interfaces. And uh, on desktop, he wants the sidebar to be open. And on mobile, he wants it to be closed by default. But you can use the hamburger to toggle it on both desktop and mobile. So um, he has it animated using frame or motion because he was going through the course and, and using some of the techniques there. And he was like, basically his question was like, how can I animate this? And invert the animated values right i'm going from like width zero to width like 300 pixels or something and i kind of want initial to be 300 on desktop and zero on mobile uh, uh 300 on desktop and then animate to zero and then on mobile the opposite so i kind of want to like yeah have two different versions based on the media width so this is this is a really interesting question and he was having a hard time like knowing how I do that on an initial render so that the initial render doesn't flicker because that what was happen- that's what was happening for him. It's a really interesting question because it's like a very high level what you are into as a programmer building a feature but there's actually like two questions there's two different questions here and it actually took some time realizing that yeah. you know. Um so there's a lot of good lessons in kind of the answer to this. Well, I think, uh, let me, can I,
1: can I answer that first layer and then you can just like throw a wrench and tell me why my yeah, answer is definitely, wrong? So definitely. I think, I think, you know, I need to measure the screen before I render. So that tells me like use layout effect. I should use right. layout effect. And if it's mobile, I set some state to make it closed. And if it's desktop, I set some state to make it open. And, right. uh, and then use layout effect is going to run before any pixels get drawn. So after right. that code runs, my pixels get drawn job done i can go home
0: yeah yeah so that's great great answer if you're writing just an spa that only ever rendered on the client that's a perfect answer that's exactly what use layout effect is for so something like figma right you don't maybe something like figma it's going to load in your browser on the client he's using next which does server-side rendering and so that's where all the problems basically come in So uh, when me and you were talking about this, we ended up talking, uh, kind of writing this really cool diagram just to help us think about this. But when you server render something, uh, you have initial render from the server. It's coming over as static HTML over the wire. And so it's static HTML, right? It has access to certain features. Like you can do certain things with static HTML that's being sent from a server. And you can do different things with you know html and javascript in a, in a user's browser and some of those overlap and some of them don't mm-hmm. so for example uh a server can send send up css with a media query you know and a, and a client can do that too but uh the client can't the client knows if the browser is you know 375 pixels or not but the server doesn't so basically if we kind of untangle this the problem with your approach of use layout effect is when you initially render the, the component i guess basically if you were doing that you'd have a spinner or a blank screen and he was saying that and he was like i kind of want to avoid that right um because then you just lose all the benefits like nothing meaningful comes from a server which is what you want you want to do that so this is kind of the way we were talking about this first of all let's simplify let's remove the animation it's not about animation right let's actually remove the ability to. well, to toggle the the sidebar. So if it was just show the sidebar on desktop and not on mobile, tailwind CSS media query, no question, right? You're not even thinking about it. So you you put in, you know, uh, hidden and then medium colon uh, block, and then that's it. It's done. And that is robust to server-side rendering, and it's going to work in React once your client is hydrated as well. Okay, now you do toggling. So this is just kind of interesting. You do toggling. You want to do toggling with React. Like just vanilla, a good approach. Uh, So you need open state. And you need set is open as React state. So now the question becomes, okay, what's the default value? Uh, Well, let's say it was just true. And so it shows everywhere it toggles false. So now how do we reconcile that with the initial render? And the reality is, is that uh, ideally what you could do is like, you know, just the same way that media queries work from the server, you could just use a media query hook. If I could use media query, find out the width of the screen, and then set the initial default state of react to that, that's pretty nice because then it just works. So this is actually what people do a lot of the time. And uh, then you realize there's a problem here. So... Let's say you use a media query, you get that it's mobile, and so your default is false. Uh, What happens when this component runs on the server? (laughs) So that's the problem. What happens when the component runs on the server? And uh, this is like where it gets really confusing. These hooks like use media query or different versions of it that come from libraries also have very different kind of uh, ad hoc behavior for how to handle the server case because you can't measure what the, obviously the device is on the server. It's the same piece of HTML being sent to everybody. And so sometimes they will make the width and the height undefined or null, or sometimes they'll make it zero. And then also on the client, they run differently as well. So once we're in a context where we have access to window and we can start measuring it, Some of them do what you said, which is use a layout effect so that uh, we prevent rendering. We are basically blocking painting on a render so that we can measure things. Sometimes that's acceptable. Sometimes it's not. And then sometimes we do the thing where we use an effect. And so the first time through, the width and the height are are undefined. And so you can't use that information for your initial render. And then they trigger a re-render by setting the state with the width. Now, if you think about that implementation, it's actually pretty perfect because... You are not able to use that information on the initial render on the client, which is also true for the browser. So that's the version Wait, of the, the hook ser- that I you're prefer not able to use on, on the, the, the server, server on the server, on the server. That's the version of the hook I prefer because it forces this mental mod, it locks it in. You are forced to not use, access anything on the initial render, which it needs to match from the server for the hydration kind of missed to avoid the hydration mismatch error. Basically, your first render from the server needs to match the first render from the client. Yeah, I, I yes
1: i like what you said but i mean I, i'm imagine i'm writing an app that's just an spa and i don't have ssr now you're telling it's me it's amazing that, but now you're it, telling me it, it, i have to Yeah, you know, it's amazing you're saying you're jealous of me because i'm
0: writing i am je- I'm, I'm jealous of software. us building ember map honestly <laughs> yeah. a lot of times i am man ember full spa mode is great there's so much you don't think about but there's but, also a, a stuff you don't get from not having a server
1: but put yourself, put yourself in that developer's shoes. Like I don't care that your server doesn't have access to the to the screen width. I don't want a null value of the the screen width on my first render. Right. Like I have it available. Right. It's it's right there. Right. i can i can reach out and touch it like don't tell me it's right. Now. <laughs>
0: right 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 so, well so this I is the same as you have the hooks. same as when you're next js and, and you're like you use query use router and you can't get the query and you're like i'm writing a code in javascript that's running in my browser and i'm looking at the query <laughs> params in my url string why can't i access them
1: yeah yeah exactly exactly so i think it's the we, we use next and we do a lot of SSR apps. So we like the version that's null on the first render of the server because right. it has to be, and then null on the first render of the client so that it matches the server and we don't get hydration, mismatch errors. Um, right, but I think you what it really comes down to what kind of app you're building before you pick yeah. pick those hooks. And it's kind of a bummer if you're you know, you're just um you pull up a uh, hook that was made for one of those contexts but not the other right. and you have to be right. aware of that um
0: yeah dude there is a lot of cost to the ssr stuff i mean first site like build ui it's literally perfect also uh uh i we when we first started thinking more about this problem spending more time thinking about it we thought it was a problem that had to do with ssg and static sites but it doesn't matter if you're using remix or even rails or whatever it's it's just it's 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 the hydration and the match between the first server render and the first client render and making sure you're not using things that are in both. Um,
1: the, the thing that kind of solves all this is CSS because the browser is really good at taking CSS and HTML and then rendering the right thing. And you can generate the same CSS and, and same HTML for mobile users as well as um, desktop users. exactly yeah so that's like that's whenever i hit this problem and man i hit this like every two i know
0: it's hard it's sometimes hard to remember that that's the answer yeah
1: i always take a step back and just think okay how would you do this without react state without effects and that usually kind of gets me like closer or closer to the right path or on the right path exactly
0: so right so (laughs) they're basically coming back we actually didn't talk about the final solution so (laughs) What is the final solution? You have the version where you're using hidden and medium colon uh, block so that you you are using CSS media queries to hide it on mobile. Now you hydrate react. You want to add interactivity. So you want to add something where when you click on it, um, you know, you toggle it. Uh, This is where like jQuery would be super easy, actually, because jQuery uses the DOM as a source of truth. And that's kind of actually the key insight here is that in this case, the DOM is the source of truth. It has to be because it's the only place to put that information uh, in a way that is robust to the initial render from both the server and the client. So uh, what do you do? You render it with CSS, hide it in small devices. You run an effect and you check the property there. Is it? Is the display... Uh, is, is it being shown or not? Because the source of truth is in a DOM. It's kind of like D3 too. D3 does the same thing. And once you find that out, you can set state. Actually, you don't even have to use an effect to do this, do you? I think we don't. We didn't even use an effect for this. I think you did. I think, your
1: code, I think your code used an effect. Because you need the component to run once, get that mm-hmm. initial men- render that matches right. the server render. And then right, 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 basically right, right. the effect can say, okay, I'm mounted. I'm in a browser. I can, right. I can start measuring Your 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 code that you used to solve this, I thought was really like it was super straightforward. It was elegant. It was easy to understand. It was just getting to that point.
0: Yes, it ended up pretty elegant. I agree, and like small, smaller than I thought. So yeah, you basically. I don't know if I use an effect. Dude, I think I might not even. You you did. I remember. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you need to though. Um, Yep. Why? Because you have to measure. You have to measure the screen. You you have to, but you only you only use you use window. You don't have to measure. You can No, you have to measure the screen width. The screen width, but you can do it during the first paint, but the static paint from the server is still going to be correct. So if open is undefined and I have access to window, set is open to window.inter width is greater than seven sixty eight. I you don't need to paint anything to do that.
1: I know, but I think because you're reading from window, it has to be in effect. It's a good question. I know it's like guarded in F and it's like, it wouldn't it's like make a, a difference in this case. Anyway.
0: So for yeah. now, let's just say put an effect. Um, probably be belongs in an effect. Um, so anyways, <laughs> just to come back, you render the thing. And the source of truth is in the DOM, and we want to be good React programmers and have is open, be the source of truth, because then we can do all sorts of things using crazy hooks like use media query, which like looks for resize events. If we want to like auto collapse the sidebar when you turn your phone or something, we can do all that sorts of stuff if we have the state in React as a source of truth outside of the DOM. So that's what you do. You run an effect, you read the DOM, you say, hey, is the display property hidden? Or is it display none or not? If it's display none, I know it's open false. And then in your render, it's really cool snippet really. In your render you say if is open is undefined, then I, I'm using my CSS hidden uh, yep. you know hidden uh, medium column block. But if I have is open, then I just use is open and I remove the CSS me. So the CSS meter is literally just for the initial state and so that the visual output is correct. And then once I know that state from, um, look, I've I've had a chance to render, I read it. Now I can switch over to open and use that instead. And then it's as if you're writing an SBA, which is cool. I think there's this cool idea of like you add SSR to like an SBA page and you want to draw a boundary around it. You want a box around the stuff that makes it hard and makes you feel like you're not writing an SBA you don't want to be guarding against window and stuff when you're building features. Like when you're building features, I want you to feel like you're just writing React in an SPA world because it's like, honestly, it's like the easiest way to do anything, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's this times where the SSR piece makes it harder. So you want to draw a box around it and just – and then get back into React world with all of your state hydrated and correct and a single source of truth kind of as fast as possible. That's kind of how I think about it. So it, it was a fun question. It, it motivated a lot of, of good uh, kind of thoughtful um, experimentation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, re- I Again, so, I really liked it. Um, and well, my main takeaway is I should just be writing SPAs without SSR.
0: I mean, listen, it's a, it's a fun way to build apps, in my opinion. You know, <laughs> I was thinking about, we don't have to get into this, but we should start podcasting more regularly because it's a fun way to talk about all this stuff as cool as as server components build ui has been fun to work on man it's a fast site and uh you know there's some issues but overall it's nice having a static site for content uh we're gonna get the cms in there i think that's gonna be extremely nice um i use my side projects some of my fitness side projects i'm gonna and we're talking about react server components how it might be even cooler and uh The stale, but while revalidate stuff man is it's just really so cool so i wonder if we lose that when we go to server components there's something nice about no server components are great man they're great they're great i focus the browser i focus the browser and like everything just updates it's awesome
1: i would i would like more control over like caching let me prefetch yeah. this page. Let me invalidate yeah. this other page so that when I navigate exactly. to it, I
0: get it completely. When p- you watch a video, you invalidate version. the cache and you get a video view. Yeah, something,
1: some like I would like more control over that. But server components are, are they're awesome. You realize how much, how many hoops we're jumping through before we have them. Yeah, I just want to pull data out of a, a database. Just let me pull data out of a database in my component. Stop. I have to set up an API route. I have to set I up. I know, I
0: know. But we're going to so go, go back through this me. entire thing. Everyone's so excited about kind of building websites like in this in this way. The whole reason we started building SPAs like there, there was one. I think it was like maybe Yehuda and Tom back in the Ember days talking about this. The way they were like, you, you shouldn't have to refresh. You to yeah. never press refresh on a browser, and it's like that's an interesting way to think about it, it. and it's an interesting kind of way to think about like. That's something you can achieve with an SPA very well. And, and when you're, you know, looking at Twitter, you refresh your feed if you want new tweets. But as you're or typing in WhatsApp or you know, um, you don't refresh the page to get new data a lot of times when you're using applications, yep. right? Yep. Um, and so they were. That's kind of how they were thinking about it. Whereas now, it, they're if we're like, let's go all in on server components, URL. It's almost like the browser, the user is should be more aware of the browser as part of the UI because, you know, again, as the Remix folks talk about, a form submission is a navigation, right? And all, all of these things. So that's it's almost like it becomes part of the user's uh, interface to the actual application. Um, whereas when we started moving away from multi-page apps and building SPAs, it was very cool that I could see other people Checking off their goals in the app, and I didn't have to like navigate somewhere or whatever. Yeah, you know what I mean. Totally. And and I think that there's use cases for it. It would be cool to see like an auto refreshing server component or something like that. Yeah,
1: you 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 can do it, but you want more control over the cache, like right. you have with a tool like with SWR. SWR. Right. Yeah. So I'm about yes. to navigate. Yes. To to user one two three, but before I navigate, like when right when I mouse over that link, yes. let me fetch all their data so that navigation yes. is instant, and we don't, we yes. do not have that today with server components. Yeah, and, yeah. And that's we, an awesome we, feature of SWR. Component.
0: Yeah, yep. And you refocus the browser, and it's like it's it, it removes a lot of things to think about. Honestly,
1: I don't see that as a thing that server components take away. Right, uh, I just it's think just that the ergonomics aren't there yet. Maybe correct, and it might take a few years and so it's perfectly fine to want to use swr while
0: that stuff is getting right. figured out right cool man fun stuff yeah you think uh it's a good good place to wrap it for the episode
1: yeah i got i got one more thing this will be quick but um cool so i have uh did you listen
0: to the poker podcast yet
1: no no i haven't <laughs> i have like a lot of bad podcasts queued
0: up i need to like just like do a podcast do you save do you save in the podcast app no i like
1: subscribe to them and then i just get all this junk in my library so i just i have to just do an audit you got to use
0: save in the podcast app and then so if i send you something you save it and i can save that you want to listen to something specific you go to the saved and then you can yeah like listen to that and then if you just want to listen to whatever you use the main library and feed that's kind of how i've been doing it gotcha yeah i should do that for sure Okay, anyway. Anyways, what, what do you got to talk about?
1: So uh, I have this I have this library, Next S3 Upload, just this mm-hmm. library that makes it easy to upload things to S3. And uh, over the years, like S3's API has... It's an API designed by AWS. But a lot of different hosting providers have been S3 compatible to make it easy for developers to use their platform or move over to their path platform. So in a way like the S3 API is turned in from like an API to like a protocol because you have all these different hosting provider support. Yeah. It's actually pretty amazing. Like I can't think of anything that I've ever seen do that. Yeah. yeah. So, so, wow. so anyway, next S3 upload supports this. Now you can, it's like it uses the the S3 API and I have like configuration where you can point it at any, any host. So you can use digital oceans uh storage, wow. storage system you can use cloudflare r2 um it was you know it took so some this like- is
0: if i'm already a digital ocean customer and i want my images to go to my digital ocean yep through yeah then you would you you don't put in like aws keys anymore you're putting in digital ocean environment very yeah
1: digital ocean basically has like a
0: backwards compatible
1: wow s3 api storage platform it's, ama- it's, that's it's, it's, it is it's amazing that's crazy it's almost like it
0: passes through because
1: of the protocol yeah it doesn't even touch aws it just goes to digital right. and servers but like the 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 api has turned into a protocol it's amazing it's
0: that's it's like that is crazy uh,
1: it's like imagine if react was so good at building like uis that every ui framework just had use state and use effect and right component. you know right. what i mean and that that's sort right. of what's happened right right with right. storage that everything is just the s3 api so it's a protocol now it's
0: which is it's that's just amazing that's crazy right and then anything that works with use state and react if everyone else is using it in the same way and the api is the same that thing would work with them too so that's yeah. kind of like yeah. it's like l2 or whatever now the funny thing here is all
1: these s3 compatible hosts all end up supporting like 35 percent of the s3 api and it's right, like a different right. 35% for every single right, one. Right, so right. like, you know, there's tons of just bugs and stuff, but it is, it's super, yeah. super interesting. Okay. So anyway, I'm just setting the stage. Setting the this stage. Sort of. So because that I support this, I get issues from people all the time about, Hey, it doesn't work with XYZ hosts that I've just never heard of. And like they, you know i have to figure out like what's going on here and so on so someone opened an issue that's like it doesn't work with uh it's like the serverless frameworks s3 offline storage something oh my
0: goodness and they
1: posted this giant yaml file and i was just like yeah there's like no chance i'm gonna deal with this like that just like i don't have time to read through your yaml file i so what I do here is I do the nice open source thing where I say, hey, like, uh, you know, bummer, it's not working. Can you set up a demo app uh, or an example that I can take a look at and then I can uh-huh. actually see like an error message and go through it. So I sent that and dude, within like an hour, maybe an hour and a half. This a guy had gotten back. This guy had gotten back to me with a stack blitz uh, link and I yeah. click the stack blitz link. Yeah. And it's running the serverless framework, serverless's S3 adapter, the NextJS app, and he built a page that's like an upload page using my library. Wow. And so I was able this was all just running in a web browser. Docker all this software. It's 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 um web containers. So it's oh wow. It's like a browser API. I'm not sure where what stack the controls so, yeah, yeah, and what yeah. the browser controls i'm not sure where the boundary is there but the fact but, i mean that it was like,
0: effectively like running like firebase right there in the thing dude it was it like was that.
1: a type of thing like where where i would say like hey can you put together a demo no one does it because they don't want to take yeah. the time to set yeah. everything up and see, he did it so quickly and then also too like, that's crazy dude i was able to use it all in my browser see the error and then it took me like 30 minutes to get a fix out what? and then run it again and see that it all worked and it wow. was just there was no like oh set up these envs on your computer download this run that it was yeah. just all in the browser it was it was amazing like that's it, crazy it was a i had like a moment where like i just kind of felt like a dinosaur developer because like i'm just right. so used to running things on my computer and when i saw right. this like right. just everything running in stack i was blown away like blown away wow. and it actually like it wasn't just like, oh, here's a demo where we can run like, um, not picking yeah. on anyone here, but where we can run like Postgres or ffmpeg in the browser. It's like, okay, right. that's cool, right. but I'm always going to run those locally. But this was actually right. like, right? It let it let him get the exact environment to me. I didn't have to do any setup on my computer, and I was able to play with the environment, and again, all in the browser. I could open up the console, see all the console logs. It was unbelievable
0: that's really cool i mean i i love the idea of it i just i've never seen it work i've never so i'd like to check it out because i feel like you know every time we try to do that stuff i just it's i'm very impatient until a point where i go back to my computer something i have to reset some dyno some is restarting i had no idea what's going on i just want it to run locally um but that sounds really cool it remind me of i would love never have to run postgres again locally you know what i mean
1: yeah it reminded me of thing like that I've heard like Paul Graham say where he's like, you know, really good ideas start off as just toys. And mm-hmm. that's what I see when I see like FFMPEG mm-hmm. in the browser or someone running right. Postgres in the browser. I'm like, oh, that's cool, but it's not something I can ever use. Right. Uh, so right. it's a toy. But then like, right. you know, a year later, someone is opening reproductions that use like a whole serverless web, stack.
0: Web, and it's because of web containers. Yeah.
1: So it's yeah. pretty... Yeah, it's probably has to do with I, I, again. I don't know where the boundaries are, but
0: but you're saying it's becoming more useful. Like for there's more yeah, use cases.
1: It was really cool. I was really impressed, and the fact that I was That's able awesome. to, to fix this because usually people just say, "Oh, run it on your computer," and I'm like I can't take two days to learn how to set this thing yeah. up. So
0: yeah, exactly. Um, That's awesome. I, mean, I I like to check it out. Speaking of F- MPEG in the browser, um, I listened to this podcast from the the changelog with um the creator of node uh ryan what's Dahl. his name ryan yeah yeah ryan Dahl. yep and he's talking about deno and he's talking about, he was making some really he's talking about their serverless infrastructure also like serverless feels like such such like a is there anything is it actually does anyone care about it or is it just like a marketing thing that people like to say I'm being very like hand like whatever. Anyway, it's nice to hear Ryan Dahl talk about it instead of just big companies with big like silly you know yeah. it's like that are vague and it's like you don't understand what they're saying or they're ignoring they're sweeping problems under the rug. Right? This guy really believes in it so much that they're they're the serverless infrastructure they're building is it's basically them and Cloudflare. He said everyone else is wrapping one of them too. So they're talking with each other about making a protocol to so kind of to your earlier point about like. Here's how – like, it's they have a basically a working group, which is trying – it's not an official standards body, but they're like, we should decide a protocol and come up with a protocol that works for both of us for, like, invoking a serverless function with, like, a payload or something or, or how you would do that, right? And and the kinds of things you would need to send to it in terms of, like – and, you know, how does it get distributed and balanced and all, and all this stuff, pooled and, and all this stuff. So, it was pretty interesting. Cool. Um, but it sounded – He was making this argument about stuff they're adding to their platform, which might eventually include data, like stateful data, like databases, which was super exciting. But the other one was like, instead of having like Linux running, like he's like serverless started out as these little functions that you just hit. And, uh, and then you like, okay, but the function queued up a job that like a big monolithic rails, app is going to pull off and run with Sidekick. But then he's like, you know, Deno is like made for the Edge first. It's like a lot of these new platforms are made for like the Edge and they don't need to boot up a whole Linux server and a node, a container node and all this stuff. And you're starting to see them do more work with like lightweight code and lightweight functions. He's like, my dream is you like open and write a 50 line JavaScript file that can like Render a web page, you know, send an email, and then like whatever, and it does it all there, and it can just spin up and spin down and it's not reliant on any long running monolithic server server and uh so he's talking about like the startup time of these things, and um it was pretty interesting that's kind of the vision there like just the ability to start it's like two hundred milliseconds with network latency for everything like again to, to run like a 50 line pro uh, function that would like you know have everything you need to run ffmpeg on an image so that's the point he was saying he's like we're actually moving away from having like Linux and stuff and so if you think about it there's actually an analogy here where you're a JavaScript web developer you pop up in Chrome dev tools and you start typing things and like now you can even import things in the browser it's almost like a terminal yeah. It's almost like a terminal, like a shell. And he's like, you know, again, people usually are like, all right, well, I need to like SSH in my terminal to do anything. But like, if you can import FFmpeg in your console and run it on an image, like that is awesome. And he's like, that's actually what we're building. And like, we want to give you like a browser. And also you think about a browser as like starting a new tab. How easy is it to start a new tab? it's built for it. It, It's, it's unbelievably fast and low memory, you know, and the sandbox environment of the, of the internet, right? Of the web. You have your bank tab open here. You've got your Slack here. and You've got like a malicious website right here and it's fine. Right. Yeah. Um, so he's like, this is actually the platform that we want to build where you, you know, you need, you need a new connection. You need a new, a new request comes in or whatever. Something happens. You're just running new tabs, it's like a new tab for your serverless functions and all the work that you need to do. And it's lightweight and and you can like terminal in just with like dev tools and JavaScript packages or, or, or Deno packages or whatever um, with TypeScript. To job. It's, it was pretty interesting, man. It's awesome.
1: I mean, dude, the apps we write, we don't need OS level APIs. Yep. Um, yep. So exactly. I'm, all, I'm all for
0: it. Exactly. It's pretty neat. I love, I love the idea of like the dev tools as like the modern term. Cause I hate the yeah. terminal. It's I like, hate typing awk and grep. I hate that. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? And he's like, JavaScript is the default language, period. I mean, he, he's like, you know, he, he was making some strong statements, but it's pretty compelling. And he was like, it is, it's, it is the default programming language, period. And the dev tools are like, your kind of swiss army knife as a javascript developer for sure so what if that's the only interface you need to like your the platform that runs your software it's pretty cool right yeah yeah yeah
1: i'm all for it
0: yeah cool i'll link to that episode because there's a fun one in case people want to check it out otherwise merry christmas happy holidays everybody we're gonna see you in a week or two or three um, we got a lot of stuff planned for the new year. I'm excited to get into a new course and build UI. We're going to be building like a back office SPA like application. Um, there's going to be like, you know, admin registration, use, you know, f- tables with filtering and sorting, permissions, all that kind of good stuff. We're going to build in remix. It's going to be a good time. So I'm really looking forward to getting into that. But um, for now, that's it from us. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye everyone.